It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hello, everyone, everywhere. This is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Amen, amen, amen. Shout amen, somebody. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We have been studying about the yoke of Jesus, and we're going to continue that study today. I have... How can I say this? I don't think we're going to finish today. Let me put it like that. Glory to God. We'll probably finish this study up next week. But if the Lord continues to give us blessing and revelation, it may go on for a few more weeks. Glory to God. Right now, my plan is to try and get through this today. But in my heart and in my spirit, I know it's not going to happen. Amen. But what we're going to study today is going to be a blessing. And I believe it's going to open your spiritual eyes to some things that you've read for years. But I'll now see the true spiritual impact of what you've been studying in the Word. Amen. Let's go to the Father with a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, and we're going to be studying about that today, the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we come before you this day, thanking you and praising you that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, that the love you have had for us sent Jesus to the cross to save us from our sins, that through him we can be born again as sons and daughters of the living God, that through Jesus we have full access to what you have for us, that we have received the Holy Spirit by faith, and Holy Spirit, we yield ourselves now to you to lead and guide us through this study, giving us wisdom, knowledge, and revelation of what the Word of God says to us. And Father, we give you all honor, glory, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Glory to God. We have been studying about the yoke of Jesus. We, we got to that point last week. 
If you missed any of these broadcasts, I urge you to go back and listen to the ones you missed. And don't skip ahead. Okay, if this is the first time that you have joined us for this broadcast and this study, I urge you to go back and listen beginning at part one because we've laid line upon line, precept upon precept about what the yoke of Jesus is all about. And it finally got to the point last week that I could talk about the yoke of Jesus. And those that listened and those that have followed us, put it like that, heard from the Spirit of God what the yoke of Jesus is all about. Amen? So if you missed any of these broadcasts, go back and listen to the ones you missed. And if you're just joining us for the first time, begin at part one, and everything I say today is going to make sense. Amen? Glory to God. Join me first, though, in our confession of faith as we lay the solid foundation upon which we are building line upon line, precept upon precept. Amen. It's commonly referred to as the Apostles' Creed, but I like using it as the foundation for our Bible studies. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Now, you got to say this. Say this with me. Say it out loud so your own two ears can hear it. And pray it by faith that it will be answered this day. I believe. In God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. Glory to God. He ascended into heaven where he sits now at the right hand of the Father. And he's coming again soon to judge, to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe the church is the body of Christ. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And I believe in the resurrection of the body. And I believe in life everlasting in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Glory to God. All right. Let's back up just a little bit to recap. We studied extensively about the boyhood of Jesus. Because we do not have scriptural evidence of what Jesus did except for being in the temple at age 12 when his parents were looking for him and they found him sitting in the midst of the temple surrounded by the priests and the scribes and the lawyers and everyone was amazed at his answers and his ability to ask questions. In other words, based upon the word of God. We studied extensively how young men, young boys, were their one goal in life was to be a rabbi, a teacher of the word. 
And we studied that only like 1% of the children would make it all the way through and become a rabbi. We studied how they had to, at age six, pass a test to get into the equivalent of elementary school as Bet Safar, or Safar. And in order to do that, they had to have memorized the entire book of Leviticus by age six. To graduate, to go on to the rabbi school, the Bet Talmud, they had to quote word for word the entire five books of the Old Testament, the first five books, which is the Talmud. Word for word. They had to have it memorized. But to be totally graduated, going on to the next level, they had to be able to prove to the priests and the scribes and the other rabbis that they not only had memorized the first five books, but they could carry on conversations, ask questions to keep the conversation flowing, and provide answers that were 100% in accordance with the Talmud. And we studied about how Jesus' parents took some of the gold, frankincense, and myrrh and more than likely used that because we know God provided for those who were taking care of his son. And he wasn't going to go to the public school. He was going to have the best rabbis as his private tutors. And they were able to afford it. Amen. So he did not get the general education, he was getting specialized education, if you could call it that. But since he wasn't involved in taking the test to graduate from the Bet Talmud and go on to being a disciple of a rabbi, he, was, he told his mother, I said, didn't you know I had to be here? This is to fulfill my father's work. In other words, he was there proving that he had the knowledge and the wisdom and the ability to be a rabbi. Amen. Then you don't hear anything else about him until he shows up as at uh, John the Baptist to be baptized. And we studied extensively about the baptism. And that in order to be a rabbi, you had to be baptized into the rabbinical priesthood, which is why he told John the Baptist I need to be baptized by you. And John said, no, 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 I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, no, we need to do this to fulfill Scripture. Amen. So we studied about Somika. How if, and we studied that you were required to only learn and teach from one rabbi that you were selected to follow. We, we studied that uh, follow me about how every Jewish boy wanted to hear at age 12, because for the next 18 years was their rabbinical training, their equivalent of high school and college, they wanted to hear a rabbi tell them at age 12, follow me. That's all they wanted to hear. If they didn't hear that, they were cut from the team and sent home. Amen? And we studied how every rabbi had an opportunity to have somika, but only one about every three or four generations, about every 100 to 150 years, had such an understanding of Scripture that he was granted somika. 
And so Mika could only be granted one time in one specific place at one specific time. And that was at the baptism of the person into the rabbinical priesthood. And in order to receive Samika, he would have to have the testimony, the verbal testimony of at least two witnesses at his baptism, not the day after, not the day prior, at his baptism that he was special. And we've seen how Jesus, when he was uh, coming up to John the Baptist, John declared, here is the Lamb of God, the Son of God, that takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb of God. Witness one, Jesus goes underwater as he comes up. God says there's nobody else here to give witness, so he comes and gives verbal testimony that everyone heard. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, you can't have any better witness than that. Amen. So, Jesus now has Samika. Samika means he can, he's not required just to teach one thing like accounting or business management or science or whatever like you would study in college and your degree is in, he can do whatever he wants. He can establish his own line now of teaching. He can do it any way he wants to. We studied about how all the other rabbis would go back and, and pick pre-vetted students from the Bet Talmud to follow them. Follow me, follow me, follow me. Jesus can do it the way he wants. Where does he go? He goes down to the Sea of Galilee and finds some fishermen, children he probably grew up with, playing in the streets and seeing the disappointment in their hearts that they did not qualify. They may have missed one verse in their recitations or whatever, and they were sent home packing. They could not be a rabbi. They could never hear someone say, follow me. They may have made it all the way through the Bet Talmud, but did not get selected by a rabbi and were sent home to the family business. We don't know. But we know Jesus went down and said, Peter, follow me. Andrew, follow me. John, follow me. These people were fishermen. Rough, tough, but Jesus knew they knew the word. He didn't have to go to the pre-vetted students. He went to them. We studied how Peter and James and John and Andrew, they sold their, well, Peter did, sold his boat. We know he was married. He went home, told his wife, here's the money for the boat. I quit. I'll be leaving today. I'm going to follow a rabbi. She probably said, what are you talking about? Why would you do that? Where are you going? He goes, I don't know. Well, why would you do it? Because he said, follow me. See, that's all they longed to hear their entire life was someone say, follow me. Now, Jesus took his disciples and, you know, everywhere he went, follow me, follow me. He, he, he gathered his 12. He had more followers than that. 
But we see the first thing is in John chapter 2, where they were invited. It says, he and his disciples were invited to a wedding. All right? Mary sees Jesus wearing the robe of a rabbi. Now, she probably had been waiting. She knew there was going to be a day coming when Jesus would begin to enter the ministry that God had planned for him before the foundation of the world. Amen. She had been looking for the time he would begin to walk out the plan of God as she knew because this angel had told her prior to the conception. And at this wedding, what did she see? Jesus wearing the robe of a rabbi. He has a group of disciples with him. She knows word has been spreading that he has Samika because he's doing things no other rabbi has been doing. And she knew what that meant. That he was now about to embark on the plan of God for his life and for his purpose. Amen? So when Jesus told her, when she said, hey, they don't have any wine. When he said, my time hasn't come yet. Why are you bothering me with this? She knew different. She knew his time had now come. And in a way... <laughs> that only a mother can made him realize it as well. I believe she gave him the look. And you know what I'm talking about. You know when your mother said to do something and you said no and she turned around and gave you the look. <laughs> oh, glory to God. I can see it as if I'm sitting there watching it. And Jesus knew, I better do something. Glory to God. And what happens? He changes the water into wine, and it says his disciples believed on him from that point on. Amen. In other words, it sealed the deal. They knew he was the long-awaited Messiah. Well, they probably figured he was, okay? He had something to do with it. Glory to God. And that he had Samika. Nobody else had changed water to wine that they knew of. And they realized this could be the Messiah. But for sure we're his disciples and he has Samika. That means we're going to be learning something that nobody else has ever been able to learn. Not just being disciples of a rabbi but possibly of the Messiah himself. Amen? Now, after this, we studied how his disciples followed him closely. Amen. I'm not going to get into the dust of the rabbi and all that. You go back and listen to it last week's uh, teaching on that. But we know because Jesus has that Samika, he explains to his disciples, they're not like other disciples. I mean, with other disciples, they could only learn one thing. Like I said, if it was accounting, that's the only thing you could teach. If you were an accountant, you could not be a business 
teacher. If you were a business teacher, you could not be a science teacher. If you were a science teacher, you could not be in the rabbinical priesthood for, you know, slaughtering calves and all this other stuff. You had to be only in the yoke that you were taught. We studied last time. The yoke of a rabbi is what his rabbi taught him. And the yoke that that rabbi was what his rabbi taught him, which was what his rabbi taught him, which was what his rabbi taught him back a hundred years or so. Amen. That's the only thing they could have. Now, we studied this last week. We'll study it a little bit more this week in Mark chapter 12, verse 31. Jesus told his disciples... They would be known by how they imitated their rabbi. Jesus said his disciples would be recognized as belonging to him if they had love one for another. And later he commanded them in Mark 12, 31 to have love for one another and love for their neighbor as themselves and to love God the Father. Now remember, this is how Jesus was teaching. His yoke was the love of God. That is the yoke of Jesus, the love of God. Amen. We studied last time about, well, let's turn over there. Let's turn to John chapter 8. And this is where he demonstrates his love. We know the Pharisees are really upset with things Jesus is doing, things Jesus is teaching the people, things Jesus is teaching his disciples. They are upset with this. We'll study probably next week where they come to Jesus and they say, by what authority are you doing these things? And we studied last time about the authority they're talking about who gave you Samika. That word authority is translated as Samika. They're asking Jesus, who gave you this Samika? That's why Jesus turns the table on them and says, well, let me ask you this and I'll be able to answer your question. Who gave John his Samika? Did he receive it from heaven? Or was it given to him by men? In other words, by you guys. And they knew and they considered John the Baptist as having Samika. Remember that it says they came to John and said, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? And John said, nope, I'm not the Messiah. I'm just the prophet making the way open and smooth for the Messiah. He said, he's coming after me and he's among you right now. And you don't even recognize him. You don't even know who he is but you will soon. So you see, they held John the Baptist in such esteem, they actually thought he was the Messiah. They went to verify it. And he said, no. But all the people considered John the Baptist a prophet, though. He may not be the Messiah, but he is definitely a prophet of God. So when Jesus said, who gave John the Baptist his Samika? 
because he was teaching totally different from what everyone else was saying. He was telling them you can be baptized into repentance. And they said, we don't know. We can't answer. Because if they said heaven gave John the Baptist his Samika, Jesus is going to say, why don't you listen to him then when he testifies about me? Because John the Baptist gave, he's one of two witnesses, gave him his Samika. He'd have him on it. So they say, we can't say he got it from heaven. But if we say among men, we're going to get in trouble with the people because they hold him out to be a prophet. So they told you, well, we can't answer that question. He said, well, I'm not going to answer your question then. Amen. So his Samika was the love of God. That's what Jesus is teaching his disciples. Totally different from everything else. That God loves you. He said in John chapter 3, For God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. So he had Samika. And he was able to establish his own line of teaching, which was the love of God. Now let's look here. We said John chapter 8. Glory to God. And it's the woman caught in the act of adultery. Amen. Now, we see these Pharisees coming to Jesus. They have this woman caught in the very act of adultery. Now, considering what that means is in physically, in the natural, it's kind of embarrassing to be caught in that act. But to be caught in that act with someone who's not your husband is even worse. They didn't bring the guy. They just brought her. Amen? The Old Testament says both, if caught, will be stoned. But they just brought her because they're trying to trip Jesus up. Amen? They brought her, threw her down, Scripture says, in front of Jesus. Explain the situation. And then says, all right, Rabbi, let's see what your answer is. The Torah says she must be stoned. What do you say? In other words, they're saying, what does your yoke about walking in love have to say about this. You see, they thought they had Jesus stuck between a rock and a hard place. Because as a rabbi, he has to take a 100% stand for the Talmud. He has to say, the commandments say she needs to be stoned. That's what the law says. And if he did that, they said, see, he doesn't walk in love. But if he says, well, I love this woman, let's let her go. They'll say, see, he doesn't do what the law says. They thought they had Jesus stuck. And Jesus, when he sees this, I'm sure it says he kneels down, starts writing in the sand, in the dirt. And they keep asking, well, 
Are you going to answer us? We don't know what he wrote. But I have a feeling. It was something like, na 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 Because he, he stands up and says, you're right. The law says she should be stoned. They thought they had him, right? But then he adds a little bit more to it. He says, but since you brought her to me and you want me to pass judgment on her, my yoke is one of love. So, yes, the law says she should be stoned. That is required by the law. But my yoke, because I have so Mika, I can do anything I want, and you brought her to me as the judge, my yoke, my Samika, and my yoke says she can only be stoned by someone who has never committed sin. In other words, she should only be judged by God. And she can only be stoned, according to the law, by someone who has never committed a sin. And the scripture says, they started tossing down their rocks, starting at the oldest all the way to the youngest. Because the oldest one standing there said, Oh, man, he got us again and threw down their rocks and walked off. The younger ones were left there like, what? I thought we were going to stone this girl. What's going on? They said, come on, boy, let's go. He got us. And they tossed theirs down and walk away. And as this is happening, Jesus is in the sand writing, na, 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 na. I have some Mika and you don't. Now, that may not be what he wrote, but it sounded good to me. Glory to God. No one's left. Jesus stands up and says, Woman, where are your accusers? He doesn't ask her details. He said, Tell me what happened. Tell me why you did this. What was in your mind? He doesn't ask her any of that. He simply stands up and says, Woman, where are those that are accusing you? And she looks around, says, No man is here, Lord. And he says, Okay, well, the law says that committing adultery, you need to be stoned, but the law also says you can only be stoned out of the mouth of at least two witnesses, and there's none here. So, since they brought you to me as the judge, as the judge, I declare a mistrial because there's no one here to make accusations against you. So now go and don't do this anymore. Amen. Look at the Samika of Jesus. He not only fulfilled the law, he still was walking according to his yoke. Amen? And it says later that she followed him. Glory to God. All right. Now, 
That's the samika of your rabbi. That's the yoke, the authority and the yoke of our rabbi, Jesus. Amen. Now, Jesus did many, many more miracles while on earth prior to the crucifixion. And we're going to look at some of them. We may not get into all of them today. That's why I'm thinking we're going to be looking more into this next week. But I want you to remember that the yoke of Jesus represents the love of God. You have to remember that. He had Samika. He had the authority and was able to teach his own line of teaching what the Word of God said. It had to verify all of the Old Testament, the Torah and all the teachings of the prophets and all that. It had to verify the Old Testament books. His teachings had to follow the Old Testament books, but he could not establish anything not in the Old Testament. Even though he had Samika, he had to follow everything in the Old Testament. But his Samika gave him permission to teach what the Old Testament said in accordance with his yoke, which was love. And this yoke that Jesus taught his disciples, who is a disciple? It's a follower of a rabbi. A follower of Jesus was taught the love of God, which is the yoke of Jesus, and this new way is what we call the New Testament. Amen. Glory to God. All right, I'm glad we finally got to that point. It took me half an hour, but we got there. Glory to God. Now we're going to move on. All right, try and keep up with me. Keeping that in mind, let's look at some of the things Jesus did. And I want to turn to John chapter 14. John 14. Glory to God. Verse 12 is where we're going to start. Verily, verily, I say to you. In other words, he's saying, truthfully, I am telling you the absolute truth here, boys. He that believes in me, the works I do. In other words, what you see me do, you can do also. Greater works than these shall he do because I'm going to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that, that thing which you ask, I will do so the Father may be glorified. What's he going to be glorified in? The Son. What's he talking about? The Father may be glorified in me as I empower you to do the works that I do and even greater works than I did. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. The emphasis is for you. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it for you. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now let's dissect this verse very quickly here. Jesus is telling his disciples... Again, who is a disciple of Jesus? It's a follower of his teachings, correct? Okay, a follower of the teachings of Jesus is learning the way that Jesus teaches. What did he have to say about the way? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody gets to heaven. Nobody can have access to the Father unless they go through me. That's what Jesus is teaching. That's his samika. That's his authority. Correct? Okay. 
with Jesus as your rabbi, as your teacher of the word of God. Think about this now. That's what his words are doing in this book. He is teaching you the word of God. He's teaching you. They've been recorded. These acts in the four gospels are for you to learn the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is teaching you. Glory to God. And since you are now a disciple of his teachings, the teachings of Jesus, you are, remember what the yoke does? You, as a disciple, can only teach the things your rabbi taught you. So as a disciple of Jesus, you are bound to only teach what your rabbi teaches, correct? So based off everything we've studied so far, you can only teach then what Jesus teaches you. You can't teach any other way to heaven. You can't teach any other way of doing healings or deliverances or praying or anything. You can't teach anything except what Jesus taught you. So all these other cults, you know, the, the Mormons with following John Smith and the Harry Kirshners and, and Muslims and Mohammed and, and Buddha and Confucius and all of those, you can't teach anything but what Jesus taught. And he said, you only get to heaven through my teachings, through me. Amen. Glory to God. So, Jesus says, as my disciple, if you see me do something according to the word of God, you can do the same thing. If I heal someone, that means you can pray and healing will come also. If I do anything, you can do it also. As a matter of fact, you'll be able to do even greater things that you see me do because I'm going to my Father in heaven. I'll be able to make intercession directly with him for you. Amen. So if you ask anything, and notice this phrase, we're going to look at this, in my name. Notice he qualified it. He didn't say, whatever you ask, I'll do. No, he said, whatever you ask in my name, in biblical studies, in biblical expressions, that phrase, in my name, means according to my character. And that clears up a whole lot of misunderstandings going on today in, in tr Christian circles about the name it and claim it and blab it and grab it group, all right? Those type of accusations, sometimes they are based in fact. But the, and, and they'll, they'll use this scripture to base their prayers on, okay? But we're going to look at this. For example, if you say, Lord, give me $1 million, and you base it on this scripture. And you say, I pray that I receive it because I just asked you for it. And you said, whatever I asked you for, you'd give to me. So I declare I have it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, according to what you've prayed, was that according to my name? Or was it in my name? Whatever you ask in my name, 
is not the same thing as what is translated as according to my character. Amen? Was it asked according to the character of Jesus? Well, it depends on what the $1 million is going to be used for. If you just want it so you can retire and take it easy, no. If you're asking for a healing for your body so you can sit at home and watch TV with no pain, you're not getting it. It's not in accordance with what Jesus' character is all about. You may even have grandiose plans for the million dollars, or at least some of it. You may plan on using it for ministry uses. But if you're asking for it so you can have a large ministry and people will recognize me and they'll recognize that because I have this large ministry, they must respect me and I'll have honor everywhere I go. That's not asking in accordance with Jesus' character. Amen? If you do not need a million dollars right now to do what Jesus has called you to do, the first few steps he's laid out for you, you're not going to get it. Because he wants you to walk by faith. He wants you to say, let's see, he shows you, you're going to, purchase this, you're going to purchase a radio station. We're going to use that one. You're going to purchase a radio station for a million dollars. And you say, okay, Lord, give me the million dollars. I believe I receive it. Well, just because he showed you this is what your future is going to hold does not mean this is where you are at right now. He may have said, this is what your future is going to be. But this is what I want you to do right now. You can say, Lord, I don't want to do that. I want that. No, because what you're learning to do in step one and step two and step three and step four will prepare you for that day. Now, let me give a brief testimony. At the time of this broadcast, over five years, almost going on six years ago, the Lord told me, I want you to begin a 30-minute weekly online radio broadcast. I had no idea. I had to have help to check email. I didn't know the first thing about what he was talking about, but I had it wrote down in my prayer journal. And we, he hawed around, and almost two years went by, because this initially was in 2008, November 4, 2008. And almost two years went by before we actually did, actually a little over two years, before we actually did the step Jesus told us to take. Amen. We began with a 30-minute weekly online radio broadcast. Many would call it a podcast. Within two months, we were on nationwide radio. And I thought, oh, this is great. This is what's going to bring in the millions of dollars to grow this ministry. And boy, was I wrong. I was wrong to the tune of more than a million dollars because we lost money on that deal. But 
what Jesus was teaching me was, you don't need to follow the path of other ministries going on the radio or television. Trust me. But what I learned in that process about how to record quality radio programming, what that meant, how to do the intros and the outros and how to load the files to servers on radio stations and how to make sure your time limits are exact. And, you know, you, you don't go on a half-hour program, you don't go 42 minutes. And you don't go 12 minutes. It's got to be like 26 and a half to 27 minutes. And, and you stay within those time constraints so commercials can be played and, and all these different things. We learned during the one year we were on nationwide radio. About seven, eight months into that, the Lord spoke the next step. All right, we're now in step three. He said, I want you to start your own online Christian radio station where people will send you files and you will be the radio station. Oh, I'm really walking in deep water. Amen. I had no idea how to do this, but we found out how, and we studied it, and we set it up, and we did it. And we started in very last place in worldwide rankings. And soon, I can't say soon, it was over the course of a year or so, we started rising in the rankings till we found ourselves two years later in the top 10 worldwide. I mean, we were, our station was growing. Amen. We had followers from all over the world. At the time, it was like 130 different nations. We started a music-only praise and worship radio, and that grew in the top 10 in genre. And then the Lord said in, uh, let's see, I guess it was summer of 2014, you're not able to do what I want you to do with this radio station you currently have. I want you to begin another radio station on a different server. And these are the things, these are the requirements you must have. I had 10 must-have requirements. And based upon what I had learned during those couple of years, three years, I had four additional, this would be nice to have requirements. And it took us almost 90 days of searching different servers and what they were offering and how they could help us and were these things being met until we found one that had all 14 points that the Lord had given us. Glory to God. And we did some testing. It worked perfectly. And we began beta testing it in December of 2014. And we launched January 1st, 2015. I think that's right. No. We began beta testing December of 2013 and launched January 1st, 2014. Hallelujah. And we began growing in listening hours until the first year, December 31st, 2014. We had, I think it was 5,000 listening hours. And I was like, wow, that's not too bad. And then, at the end of 2015, we had over 100,000 listening hours. And beginning in late August, we started hitting the number one ranking in the world intermittently. 
Glory to God. Number one in the entire planet of Christian broadcast. And in 2016, this is uh, in July 2016, the time of this broadcast, ending on June 30th, 2016, we have already exceeded listening hours that we had for the entire year in 2015. We are on track. Our goal this year is 200,000 listening hours, which will give us close to a quarter of a million listening hours in just three years. Glory to God. Bob Thibodeau can't do that. I don't know how to do that. But because I'm following the Somika of Jesus, and I'm doing what he says, this is step one. And the money that came in for step one was enough for us to do step one. This is step two. The money that came in that year allowed us to accomplish step two. We're now in step three, and the income that's coming in now allows us to do step three. What is step four? He hasn't shown me yet. He's shown me where the ultimate destination will be, and when that time comes, that's when the money will flow in. Amen. I said all that to get to this point that when you pray, Lord, give me a million dollars, give me a hundred thousand dollars, give me ten thousand, whatever it is you're asking for, give me healing. What it has to be, he says, you ask it in accordance with my name. You ask it in my name. It has to be in accordance with his character. Not because you want it, but because he needs you to have it now to accomplish something. If you need a million dollars to do what he has called you to do, Right now, in this step, he will answer that prayer. If you don't need it to accomplish the step you are at, he will not answer that prayer because it's not in accordance with his character. Whew. All right. Let's look at the remainder of the verses. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Notice this is plural. Not one singular. We need now to go back to the basis of our study. What commandments is Jesus telling his disciples, that's us, to keep? The Ten Commandments? No. The Ten Commandments were not given to teach men how to get to heaven. If you study it out, we've done this before, we may go back and do it again, but these Ten Commandments were actually given to teach a rebellious nation that they had no free ticket to heaven. Just because God said, you are my people, they said, oh man, we got this made now. No. Go study it for yourself. But that's not, that's not the focus of today's study. But basically, Israel had gotten tossed out into the desert because they refused God's command to go take the land as God instructed them. Moses then led them to Mount Sinai and was telling him, okay, God's going to come down tomorrow. Prepare yourself because he's going to talk with you. And as God descended on the mountaintop, there was this earthquake and thunders and lightnings and, and these dark clouds and the people got afraid. So they told Moses, hey, Moses, uh, you go talk to God. They're nice people, right? 
You go up there. You go talk to God. And then come back and tell us what he said and we'll do it. So, Moses, when he originally went and talked to God, told him, God told him what to tell the people. And the people's attitude was basically being flippant. Oh, okay, well, yeah, that's easy. We can do that. No problem. But they never did it. They never did what God told them to do. They were basically telling God, we got this. Don't worry about it. And God did not take too kindly to that attitude. So he called Moses back up on the mountain. This time he was up there for 40 days. When he came down, he had the Ten Commandments. But what did he find? The people had already gone into idolatry. Amen. And God was not happy. Moses was not happy. He broke the Ten Commandments in front of them, turned it into dust, and made them drink it and killed like 100,000 of them. They were given the Ten Commandments again, but God was showing them the impossible standards they would have to keep to get to heaven. They were given the Ten Commandments to humble their hearts to the point where they would cry out to God for forgiveness and say, we need someone to save us and ask God to send them a Savior. That's the purpose of the Ten Commandments. So that's not the purpose of what Jesus is saying here. Amen. The Ten Commandments were impossible to keep in the spirit of the law of God. It's impossible for man to keep them. So they could not be what Jesus was referring to when he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, then what was Jesus talking about, Brother Bob? I'm glad you asked me that question. He was referring to what he was instructing his disciples in the teachings of his yoke. What is the yoke of Jesus again? The love of God. That God is a God of love. He even said, God is love. Totally different from what was being taught by the other rabbis and scribes and priests. Totally different. They were teaching the Ten Commandments. You want to get to heaven, you got to do them. If you can't keep even one, you're going to hell unless you come and give an offering. Kind of a little bit. Can I say this, Lord? Okay, kind of a little bit what you hear some churches teach today, some televangelists teach today. Send us your offerings. Give to us by faith, and God will honor that. What are they really saying? You sinner. You have no hope of ever getting to heaven unless you humble yourself and accept Jesus as your Savior. And that is true. That's the only way to heaven. Humble yourself. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to come into your heart, to be born again into the kingdom of God. But then they add to it. Demonstrate your faith by sending us an offering. Because your offering will make, it is written, the offerings will make room for a man. See how they twist the word of God? The offering does not make your way. Jesus is your way. Offerings are given out of love 
for what Jesus is doing. Amen. Oh, Lord. That's what cults teach. You hear about these cults that take all the money from these people and they separate them. They're living in this commune and all that. And all their possessions are given to the head of the commune. And if they're holding something back for their grandchildren or something, you know, and the, and the leader finds out, about it, he'll tell them, don't you love God? Do you want to go to hell over this? See how they twist that? Their trust, what... These people are being taught. What the people in, in Jesus' day were being taught was you have to keep the Ten Commandments unless you give an offering. Their trust was in keeping the law, and if they couldn't do that, it was in the sacrifices of animals. Jesus taught in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31, Love the Lord your God. With all of your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, this is the first commandment. And the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. There are no other commandments greater than these two, Jesus said. Two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Two commandments. So in John chapter 12, verse 15, when Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, he was referring to two commandments that he gave to his followers, his disciples. They were not given to everyone else. You cannot have an unbeliever walk in the love of God. It's impossible. They don't love God. Because if they love God, they do what God said. I gave my beloved son, so whosoever shall believe in him shall not die, but have everlasting life. God loved them, the sinners in the world. That's all of us. Raise your hand. Amen. God loved us so much, he gave the way of salvation by giving his only begotten son. And by believing in him, you have the forgiveness of sins, the gift of everlasting life. By believing in him, you have to believe what he said. Amen. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody gets to the Father unless they go through me. Amen. Jesus said, love God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is my yoke. Amen. No other commandments do you have to follow because all of the commandments are wrapped up in those two. If you love God, you'll honor him. You won't curse him. You won't dishonor him. You won't do things displeasing to him. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't commit adultery. You won't covet his wife, his animals, and his money. And, and you won't steal. You won't kill. You won't do all these things because you're loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, if you are my disciple, do what I say. Follow these two commandments.
If you are walking according to our rabbi's yoke, you're walking in love, then whatsoever you are asking according to his character, which is the love of God, will be given to you. Amen. So if you're asking for a million dollars, but you're doing it to be selfish and retire, or you're asking this so you could get a big ministry quickly, big in your mind in order to impress others, but it doesn't impress God, forget it. You're never going to see the money. But if you're asking because your ministry has grown to the point that without the $1 million, some ministry work you're currently doing is not going to be finished and it's going to reflect badly on the kingdom, not on you, it has nothing to do with how you look, but on the kingdom, then it'll be granted to you. Amen? All right. Let's get back over to now to some of the demonstrations of God's love. Holy cow, it's already been an hour. Let's get back to some demonstrations of God's love being expressed through Jesus. And we studied this a little bit last time. I want to quickly recap here the story about the woman with the issue of blood in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. We're going to go quickly here as we get ready to wrap all this up. See, I told you we wouldn't finish today. First, we see some of his followers. And we're going to begin in Luke chapter 8. It came to pass afterward, verse 1, that he went throughout every city and village preaching. What did he preach? The love of God. Right? Showing the glad tidings, the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. What twelve? The twelve disciples. Certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. So Jesus had healed these women in demonstration of the two commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. The yoke of Jesus. The yoke of Jesus. The love of God. God loves you so much. If you believe this, I'll heal you. And he, were, he, he healed them. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom was seven devils cast. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. And Susanna and many others. Now listen to this and relate this to what I said before. Which ministered to him out of their substance. They were giving offerings to him to take care of his ministry needs out of their substance, not to get healed and delivered of evil spirits, but in gratefulness for being healed and delivered from evil spirits. They gave not because he asked for an offering, but because they loved him so much, they said, this is the only thing I have. I'm going to give you this, what I have. I'm giving it all to you. Just as Jesus gave his all to us. Amen. Okay, let's keep going on. When many people were gathered together in verse 4, there came to him out of every city, and he spoke by a parable. And he starts going into the parable of the sower sows the word. Amen. And his disciples asked him in verse 9, he said, what does this parable mean? We don't understand it. And look in verse 10. Jesus said, and I love this verse, unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. One translation says, how the kingdom of God operates. But to others, it has to be in parables. The seeing, they still won't see, and hearing, they still won't understand. But what's he saying? To you, it's been given to know. Who is the you 
Jesus is talking to? His disciples. Amen. Very good. Good answer. Who are the disciples of Jesus? What does disciple mean? It is a follower. Amen. Good answer. You're learning here. Who are you? Are you a follower of Jesus? Well, yes. Amen. That means you are a disciple. You are a student under the teachings of Jesus that he is teaching. Therefore, verse 10 belongs to you. Unto you it is given to know how the kingdom of God operates. Amen. The parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Not money. All right? Not like some of these preachers say, Sow this seed by faith. Send us your money. It's not money. It's the word. If you are a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, your seed is preaching the word of God everywhere you go. Glory to God. And I said this before. I'll say it again. I may not have said it in this study, but I've said it for the 20-some years I've been ministry, 25, 30 years, whatever it is. Every person is called to be a preacher. You may not stand in a pulpit. You may not be on the radio or television or anything like that. But you are called to be a preacher. Every person is called. You may only be witnessing to your family. You may only be witnessing to your friends and your co-workers. But you're called to preach. Everywhere you go, you are to sow the word of God. Some of it. As we go on, some of it will fall by the wayside. And even though those people will hear what you're saying, Satan will come immediately and take that word that was sown into their heart. Amen. But you still are called to sow the word of God. Some are throwing on rocks. They got hard hearts. And they say, yeah, that makes sense. Amen. I receive it in Jesus' name. But as soon as, you know, the light bill is due and the rent's due and the car payment's due and the need braces for the kids, they forget all about what was sown and focus on the world. So the word that was sown dies. Amen. And then there are some that are fallen among thorns. They believe it. These are your, your weekly churchgoers. They go to church. They believe the word that's preached, but they do nothing with it. It's in their heart. They're saved. They know they're going to heaven, but they're still struggling. Sickness and money problems and all that stuff because they're doing nothing with it. The thorns of life have grown up and choked the word. But as you go and preach, according to Matthew chapter 7, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You will lay hands on the sick and cast out devils. You'll heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils freely. It has not cost you one penny. Not one penny. Don't listen to these preachers who are like, send us your offering and I'll pray over it and God will bless you. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 
Matthew 10, verse 7. As you go, preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received. Therefore, freely give. Give what? The word of God as a seed sown into people's hearts. Glory, hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Continue on. Hallelujah. We're running out of time. I need to get this part done. Oh, praise God for your word. We'll skip ahead. While he's teaching his disciples these things, his family comes outside, sends word. They can't get inside because of the crowd. They send word, hey, tell them we're outside. We want to talk to them. Another uh, gospel commentator will say, translate it as, they thought he was beside himself, and they were coming to take him home. They were going to get him some help. Amen? His mother, who knew these things, his brothers who grew up with him, thought he was nuts. What did Jesus say? My mother, in verse 21, my mother and my brothers are those which hear the word of God because it's been sown into their heart and do it. Amen. And it came to pass. He said another day in verse 22, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And then he fell asleep and the storm came up. He thought his disciples would understand when he said, go to the other side of the lake. That's where they're supposed to go. Instead, they got scared. They're fishermen. They see this storm. They're like, man, we are in trouble here. So they wake up, Jesus, don't you care? We're about to die here and all you want to do is sleep? And Jesus gets up, says, peace, be still, and stops the wind and the waves. And then immediately they're at the other side. And the disciples said, what kind of man is this? They, didn't, they weren't looking at him as a rabbi right now. They said, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the seas obeys him. But maybe they were looking at him as a rabbi. So what kind of teaching is our rabbi giving us, giving us here? His authority, his somika, even the winds and the waves, the natural things in the world... Listen to his words. Think about that. He is still teaching his disciples. They arrived in verse 26, the country of the Gadarenes. And when he went forth, a man came out that had, was possessed of many devils. Jesus asked them, what's your name? And they said, Legion, for there's many of us. And he lived among the, the catacombs and the caves and the cemeteries, the graveyard. And they tried to capture him before and chain him up. But he broke these chains and was cutting himself with rocks. And he must have been a terrible sight. But Jesus loved him. Jesus loved this man. Remember what we just said. As you go, preach. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils. Jesus teaching his disciples about casting out devils when they come across them. Jesus was going to town. This devil, or this legion of devils that possessed this man came out to stop him. And Jesus told them to come out. And they said, well... You know, have you come here to torment us before the time? When Jesus said, come out of them, 
They said, don't send us to the pit yet. At least let us go into the herd of pigs. And they said, okay, because he, he's Jewish. He didn't care about the pigs anyway. And the Jewish, I mean, the, the pigs ran down the cliff, died in the ocean. The caretakers of the pigs ran back, told the town what happened, because they're supposed to take care of them pigs. And these pigs rep probably represented a good portion of that town's income. And now they're all dead, so they didn't want to get in trouble. They went back in and said, hey, this guy did it. And they go all out, and they find out that, you know, this guy makes sense. And then they, they realize, look, we don't want you here. You're costing us money. You need to leave. So Jesus got back in the boat, came back over to the other side. That brings us up with about three minutes left. We're going to probably start there this time tomorrow, or next time, not tomorrow, next Sunday. I'm going to stop it right there. We're up to the point where I wanted to get to today, but we didn't make it that far, which is Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood. Amen. We're going to study that next time. But what I want to leave you with right now is, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you saved through his sacrifice which was given for you? Remember what we said about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were given to prove Man needed a Savior. That it's impossible to keep the Ten Commandments, and by breaking one, Scripture says you broke them all. You broke them all. If you took so much as an ink pen from your work, if you took so much as a piece of bubble gum as a child without paying for it. If you did so much as slap your little brother or sister or pinch them when you were growing up, you broke the commandment of love. And you are going to hell for it unless you give a sacrifice acceptable to God. According to the Ten Commandments, that was an animal sacrifice. But after Jesus gave the perfect sacrifice, animal sacrifices were no longer considered acceptable to God. He said again in John 3.16, Whosoever would believe in Jesus would receive the forgiveness of their sins and the gift of everlasting life. So I ask you today, are you a disciple of Jesus? If so, then you are already saved. If you're not, you need to be, and you do so by praying this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be Lord of my life, that I may be a follower of yours and receive life everlasting in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed in all you do. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. 
For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.